the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, broadcasting live on Periscope at the same time. And so there's Mark Ludwig joined on Periscope. For those of you that don't watch on Periscope, you should. Twice a day at uh, 9.45 East Coast in the morning, 9.45 a.m. and uh, 2 p.m. East Coast, I get on Periscope and share some key things of what you need to know. And today... Well, it's a very important day. Uh, I, I made a little bit of a faux pas this morning. For those that are listening, that watch my Periscope, I said to you that the, the walls at Fort Pelosi uh, had come down. I wasn't totally accurate, so let me explain. My office, of course, it's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com to sign up. Um, yeah, uh, I, my office is about two and a half blocks from the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, someone's asking me, on Periscope, by the way. What am I going to do when Periscope is gone in 10 days? I am going to, I think I'm going to be on YouTube, but don't worry, I'll be telling you in the next couple days. So my office where I work is just a few blocks from the U.S. Capitol. And so, and, and actually just a block and a half from the United States Supreme Court. And so when they put up Fort Pelosi, um, the barbed wire fence, it was kind of right in front of my office building, just down the corner of the block. And over the weekend, they took down the fence, and they had images on the local TV of the uh, of the folks cutting the razor wire and getting it all off. Um, and so this morning, I said, "Oh yeah, they took down Fort Pelosi." Well, I went for a walk at lunch, and it's not true. I made a mistake. They took down the perimeter of Fort Pelosi, but inside uh, inside of that perimeter, far perimeter, which went from like over towards Union Station, if you've been to Washington, all the way past all the house buildings, it included the um, Library of Congress and down on the other side of the Capitol. So it was a big, big perimeter. Well, they've now moved back and, and there's there was an inner perimeter. And so there still is around the Capitol itself, the United States Capitol, the building, there is still a barbed wire fence and a big fence there, and there's no indication if they're going to take that down. So I'm not even sure, I'm not sure if they're intending to do that. But here's what I want to say: um, this one aspect, one observation. They took down, I would say, I don't know, three miles, four miles, maybe ten miles. You know, during the Jericho March. They marched seven times around the Capitol, and so um, the Jericho March, and I think they said that was almost nine miles. So every time a lap around the Capitol was a mile, and this is much further out. So the the the, um, the security uh, apparatus in in Washington D.C. was able to take down. Uh, I don't know, 10 miles of razor wire fencing in two days from Friday until Monday, two and a half days. And they put it up just as quickly after January 6th. They put it up in a hurry. 
Doesn't it make you really wonder? I mean, why can't they build a wall when they said they were going to build a wall on the border? Couldn't they at least build a, you know, 20 foot wall with razor wire on top and and at least have some sort of slow them down on the border? Anyway, so that's just another observation uh, that the crazy stupidity of the bureaucracy in our government. But what you need to know and what I want to talk about today is what we started to talk about last week, but I've fine-tuned it for you. I've honed this down to be able to explain this in a really succinct way. The official policy, let me first say the official policy of the Biden administration is they will not allow individuals over the age of 18 to come into the United States at the border illegally. That's, that's what they say the policy is. I actually don't believe them, but that's what they say. But the policy is anyone who is under 18 and is unaccompanied will be let in, which is why we have thousands upon thousands of uh, 18 and under uh, young people, children, in these kind of uh, plastic uh, cubicles on the border. They're desperately, they don't want to call them cages, so they're made out of plastic, and therefore you can call them a cubicle. Go figure. I'm not sure what the difference is in terms of being restrained in a way that's not particularly, um, I don't know, it doesn't seem particularly uh, positive in general, but it would be more positive to build a wall. But my point is the policy of the Biden administration is they, the stated policy we don't know what's happening on the ground, except we, we, we know what their stated policy is. No adults, only unaccompanied minors. OK, now, as a description, this is true for both the Trump administration, for the Obama administration, for the George W. Bush, as well as Biden administration. The border is controlled on the Mexican side by the cartels. The cartels organized crime controls the border down south at the key points, there'll be places where it's not controlled by them, but then they don't care because the places where people cross and the checkpoints and all the rest are controlled by, by the cartels. So what we know is this, that the policy of the Biden administration is only let in kids, unaccompanied minors come, and we know that the border is controlled by organized crime. So the official policy of the Biden administration is to subsidize the uh, the organized crime, the criminal class, cartels, in getting uh, possession of minors for the purposes of, hopefully, passing them on to the border. Lord knows, if you watch the, the, uh, the documentaries on this, and, uh, and I'll, I forget now the, the name of uh, my, uh, my friend who is, um, uh, who is, um, uh, who is um, uh, so good on this, on her documentary, all right, I got to finish it because I'm frustrated that I got knocked off of uh, social media. I'll see how many people get back. But if you if you just real quickly, I'll finish this so that in case I lose you again. Thank you for coming back. There's Mark. Um, <clears throat> but my point here is, and I'll get to it quickly. It's so important, though, that um, the um, the reality of the um, policy of the Biden administration is that this is that this is exactly what's happening. This is what you need to know. They are incentivizing, they are subsidizing the uh, cartels, organized crime to actually to get access to to un- underage. Think about what that means. What that means is that you have a situation where our American tax dollars and policies are going to fund the cartels exploiting underage people. Now, someone said, well, 
are the underage kids, are they just letting them through? How could they just be letting them through? They're either charging their parents or they're exploiting them themselves. Who knows? I mean, we don't even know. But how can this be a sane policy at this point? 75% of the American people believe there's a crisis at the border. That's because that's, they've only seen a little bit of it. But over the weekend, the key thing for you to know also is that the, the media started to quit on Joe Biden on this. They actually started to cover it. And of course, here's another detail. Can you believe this? Wait till I tell you this. I, mean, I don't know if people have heard this, but they'll hear it here now. They, under Trump, there was a, 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 there was a policy that allowed journalists to see all the aspects of the border. Not all the time. They didn't let them embed there. But they, they didn't keep the media from any aspect of the border, the problems at the border, everything else, which is how you got the pictures. You know, AOC at the border. I guess she was outside of the border. But the, there was not a – well, the Biden administration, it's a no-go zone. There's no media allowed. There's no media. There's the pictures that are leaking are pictures that are being leaked. Um, uh, the uh, of course the great Project Veritas has some, and they're getting out. But most of the pictures are coming from leakers. There's no official photo- photographs, and more importantly, the stated policy of the Biden administration is no transparency. Don't let anyone see what's happening. So the policy is subsidize the organized crime to exploit underage kids and make sure that the American press and the American people can't see it. Now, I, I don't know how Joe Biden could do worse for uh, the American people. I don't know how, again, it's not a policy disagreement. I mean, there is a policy disagreement, but this isn't a policy disagreement. This is mismanagement of a set of issues. If he wants to let everybody in, that's a policy decision. But if he just allows under unaccompanied minors, and that's what the Secretary of Homeland Security said, our policy is adults can't come in, but the kids can. And so parents all over Latin America and South America are putting their kids into the situation where they're entrusted to organized criminals, the cartels. And that's what we're subsidizing? Could this be a worse system than you can imagine? Could you imagine something as bad as this? I don't think you could. I don't think you could. And that's what we've got to be aware of. And, and again, you know, what's going to happen, I hope, is that pretty soon they're going to cave and they're going to stop this uh, system. The young people are being interviewed and their parents are being interviewed from Latin America and South America and Mexico. And they're saying, we're coming because Joe Biden is there. We wouldn't have done this with Trump. There was an interview over the weekend. Um, uh, uh, Raditz, um, Martha Raditz was down on the border and asked someone that said, you sent your child up there. Would you have done this if uh, Donald Trump was president? They said no. Now, again, we're not we're past that. But what are you going to do about it now? And the easiest thing to do, as we've said before, is build the wall. And the idea that Congress isn't demanding that the president build the wall and shut the border is insanity. All right. So that's what you need to know. If you're listening on uh, the radio station, we got a lot more coming back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you for listening. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here. Our, our old friend, our next guest is Todd Benzman. He's the Senior National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, that's down in the Texas, the Texas-based. He is where he is based in Texas. His book is, newest book is America's Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. Fascinating book. By the way, uh, Todd, I think two or three weeks ago, it was revealed that a couple of three or four, maybe four, uh, people who were on the terrorist watch list made it through the border. So your, your book is... Uh, prescient, uh, if not uh, popular amongst the mainstream media. But so congratulations on that. Again, the book is America's Covert Border War, Todd Benzman book. But Todd, I need to, it's like a perfect timing. We had planned this last week to have you on. Um, How bad 
is what's happening at the border. I mean, it, it, how how your Twitter feed, which is really valuable, by the way, at Benzman Todd, people should follow you, has some more uh, aspects of things I want to talk about. But the border crisis right now, how bad is it? What's what's really happening? What can you tell us? Well, what what we know and what we can go by are the numbers. So we are looking at very, very high numbers historically in terms of apprehensions and what's called gotaways, the ones that obviously we didn't apprehend. So for February, Mm -hmm. that number total would be about 140,000, 40,000 of them being uh, gotaways. And uh, that's an inexact number. There could be more. There could be less. Uh, and then um, we're looking at probably for March somewhere on the order of um, you know 120,000, 130,000, maybe more just apprehended, known that we caught. And so those numbers just kind of keep going up. Now it's not that way all along the border. It's that way in certain areas of the border, and it's inexplicable. It's not explainable why some areas there's enforcement and other areas there is not meaning pushbacks uh for pandemic emergency control and uh in other places they're just letting whole families go through thousands and thousands the rio grande valley for example just uh logged ten thousand in a single weekend uh just this past weekend i think actually about a four day over about a four day period which is just stunning uh, and they're just letting them through. Um, so it's just the numbers are going way up, and uh, the enforcement is inconsistent all along the border. I just interviewed. I'm here. I'm on the Mexican side right now, looking at the Rio Grande, uh, looking across the Rio Grande at Texas. There's a lot of migrants in this town I'm in, Acuna, Ciudad Acuna. And uh, the migrants are coming here from other cities because they heard that it would be easier to cross here than it was in Juarez and Tijuana. So they're like border hopping from one to the Mm -hmm. other, looking for the easy way in. They all know that some of these cities are easier to get through than others. And so that's kind of a a snapshot um, of what I'm seeing and what I think is happening. It's going straight up. But right. Yeah. Well, and Todd, we're talking with Todd Benzman, Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. There's a lot written over there. Even Politico earlier on Monday had a piece that described how there is completely family separation. It's just that the separation is happening on the Mexico side. Families are bringing their kids up to the border and sending the kids over by themselves. My first question is, I have a hard time believing that only kids are making it across. Are they really turning away the adults and only kids are getting in, or is that not? Is that just a a talking point? Can you tell? I can't really tell what's happening with that, honestly. I get a a whole range of stories about that. I think that it is safe to say, though, that that, uh, parents, uh, relatives on the Mexican side will send the kids ahead on their own. Mm. They'll be here. They're just a, a few miles away. And they'll send their kids over there knowing that they'll be taken care of and then eventually put on a bus to go reunite with some relatives somewhere in the country. So that's definitely Mm -hmm. happening. And there are also some kids that are making the journey all the way up with smugglers from Central America all the way to the border on their own. Families are just sending their kids up without the parents. 
And that's happened, too. I talked to a Border Patrol agent the other day who told me that he caught two uh, young boys and a woman in their 30s and thought that it was a mom and her two kids. And it turns out that neither of the kids knew each other. They had just met 10 minutes earlier out there in the brush. And then they mm-hmm. found the woman by herself. And it looked like a family union, unit, but it wasn't. There were just three individuals mm-hmm. who came together out there. And so you get stories like that, too. And nobody knows where the parents are. I think that there is a good likelihood that um, we're, we'll see some fake families, uh, you know, where for convenience, because in a lot of places, Mm-hmm. We're cutting uh, out a little bit, right Todd. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You're yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm out. in, Mex- no, I'm in okay. Mexico. No, no, I understand. <laughs> That's why it's good. It's good to have you on. Let me, Todd, let me slide to another question. At Benzman Todd is his Twitter feed, B-E-N-S-M-A-N, Todd. And uh, and make sure, as I mentioned over and over, his book is called America's Covert Border War. Find it. But, Todd, I'm looking from earlier today, uh, Monday, you tweeted uh, images of Acuna, a Mexico-sponsored camp. And you, it's called like a pit stop, a supervisor told me. It looks, it looks very re- prosperous. looks like a school to me with a bunch of children. Um, wh- what is that about? I mean, I, I guess they just have to get – they know the kids are coming. They know the families are coming. They just have to prepare to let them come up. I mean, what is this? Well, this is about um, the Biden administration uh, creating a, a draw, a, mag- a magnet, a magnet for people from all over the world to come to the border to, to, to try to get over. And so they're showing up in places like this city, Acuna, which is right across from Del Rio, Texas. And the city authorities don't want these people just sleeping in the streets. So they have established three camps, uh, built them, and they are you know, housing and feeding these migrants. Well, the migrants will show up from some other Mexican town. Uh, and they'll stay for a few days and then find a smuggler and go over. So that's what's happening. And you, you see in the video that those are children with their parents because right. family units are making it over now. So that's why mm-hmm. those people that we see in the video in my tweet will not be there probably tomorrow or the next day. They'll be in the United States. Uh, so they, they're, the supervisor of that camp told me, well, this is like more like a pit stop. They stop here and then they all go to the United States. But the city has to expand its capacity for these migrants. I'm not seeing, you know, huge numbers of migrants here, but but for a city like this, you know, they're seeing they're preparing and they're seeing enough new people coming in from Mexico from elsewhere in Mexico that they had to do something. Uh, we're talking again with Todd Benzman, the senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's based down in Texas. He's actually talking to us on the phone from the Mexico side, looking over at Texas. Um, and on Twitter, his at Benzman Todd, B-E-N-S-M-A-N, and his new book, which is really worth getting. I have it on my desk right now, America's Covert Border War, sold wherever books are. Um, Todd, um, in your expert opinion, and I'm not to mean at all silly, I'm, I'm saying right now, as to this crisis... 
what are the possible solutions? I mean, what are the possibilities? We keep doing the same thing. Now, it looks like the American media basically leaks as well as Democrat congressmen have leaked enough that um, that maybe there's pressure mounting. But what are the possibilities? If the po- if the po- if the policy is, you know, anyone who says they're an asylum seeker, a Biden administration is going to let them in. They're teaching them the language of that and all. I mean, what are the what are, is there a range of possibilities you see that could happen uh, that, that in the next week, two weeks, ten weeks, uh, year? I mean, honestly, the, the the best policies that I have seen, like in my lifetime, uh, about border security were the ones that Donald Trump put into place. And those had to do with uh, sort of um, opposing and countering a really fundamental lure about the border and, and, and why people come to the border to get across. And that is to just so that they can get into the United States by hook or by crook, because once they're in, they're in illegally or however, but they'll never leave. We won't deport the vast majority of them. And so the game is to just get in by any means possible. And what Donald Trump did was he, with Remain in Mexico uh, policy, was to make them wait in Mexico instead of getting the dream in there. And Title 42, which is the pandemic uh, pushback, instant expulsions, uh, that's still in place in a lot of areas, but does not apply anymore to family units, not universally anyway. Um, but I don't see, and those worked. They were incredibly effective. I came over here during those when they were starting up and people were going home. They, were, they weren't bothering because of it. And I've even met migrants today who've been, in, who've been in Mexico for three and four years, all three and four years of the Trump administration because they knew they couldn't get over and that they'd be pushed back. And so, but I, I just don't see, and they're innovative policies. I just don't see the Biden administration ever implement re-implementing those things that worked so well and they call them cruel and and that sort of thing and that they worked i've never seen anything work like those policies Hmm. so you know Hmm. here we are back to the way it was pre-trump with everybody just coming in Hmm. Well, listen, Todd, unfortunately, I got to go. Todd Benzman is our, our uh, correspondent down on the border. He said Todd Benzman is Center for Immigration Studies. Go to CIS.org and you'll see a lot of writing by him and others. He's a senior national security fellow. His new book is America's Covert Border War, the untold story of the battle, the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. We didn't even talk about that this time. And at uh, Benzman Todd on Twitter. Be careful down there, uh, Todd. Thanks for writing about this. And we'll look forward to talking again. All right. Thanks. Thanks much, Ed. Uh, All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here, the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Ted Malik's with us. Dr. Ted Malik, Theodore Roosevelt Malik, is with us. And he he is uh, opining, as they say, from the United States, where, of course, he is a citizen and all. But he has lived for many years overseas and abroad. And we're just talking off the air about uh, what's happening in the world. And will he ever get back to London, where he spends a lot of time and has lived for years? And, uh, well, it's not for a while, at least. But, Ted, you mentioned in, that, uh, in our discussion off the air how... Um, uneven the the um 
what's going on in Europe is. Mention as you did, you ran through, you ticked on where everybody was, ticked off where everybody was in the in the COVID thing. Well, what's going on in Europe? Yeah, so it's it's much much worse than the United States, and certainly much worse than the best states in the United States. Uh, but even the worst states in the United States are a thousand miles ahead of Europe. The UK is totally locked down until probably the second week of May. They are distributing a vaccine, which is going very well, the AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccine. Uh, and they've kept that mostly in the UK. There's not enough to export. The uh, rest of the European Union in Brussels is in charge of the vaccine. Why not put a bureaucracy in charge of something you want to do well? And it has been a total disaster, a total disaster. Not enough vaccine, unequally distributed, you know, given to people that don't deserve it, no priorities. They're actually talking now, if you can believe this, about buying some Russian vaccines in Western Europe. Wow, really? Sputnik, right? They call it Sputnik. Did they name everything Sputnik in, in Russia? So they, they call it Sputnik, I think. that. that uh, well, um, so I thought that the U.K. had a little bit better handle on it. I guess not. No, they do have a slightly better handle on it. The numbers are slightly better than other European countries. Um, but the lockdown has been harsh. You know, th- this notion, which goes to what I've been writing about here recently, about uh, once upon a COVID time, this has been wonderful yeah. for the centralizers, for the bureaucrats, for the so-called experts, for the public health officials, for those in search of power. Uh, yeah, you know, there's Fauci types all over the world, and uh, they are very much in play, you know, in, in Europe. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik, and he's referring to a piece that's over at American Greatness, ran uh, last week or so, uh, entitled um, uh, Once Upon a COVID Time, an Alternative Ending. So, and I want to get into that a little bit. Basically, mm. you said, you know, when everybody came in and said lockdown and all, um, that if the decision was to do the opposite of what they did, does that mean you think President Trump got sort of snowed, that he got rolled by the experts? You know, it does, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he could have gone another way. I wonder if he had a scratch on his head. If he had said, you know, Miss Bricks and uh, Dr. Fauci, thank you for your advice. I'm going to go to the Situation Room right now, talk to my own experts. And he'd come up with more like a Florida plan, which is stay six feet apart, wash your hands, and, you know, if you feel it necessary, wear a mask. But we're not closing a damn thing down. Well... The economy would have been very different. The small and medium businesses would not have been hammered. We wouldn't have gone through all these, uh, what, six iterations of uh, so-called stimulus relief. But here's the more important political point. We still would be talking about President Trump as Mm -hmm. President Trump. Right. I think it's true. I mean, I, again, I, I don't know how you make those decisions. I, I'm not saying I could have made him better, and I have a lot of respect for President Trump's ability to make decisions, hard decisions. And when he makes them like, um, you know, Operation Warp Speed, everybody complained at the time, it's too much, it's too much. Well, clearly he was yeah. able to goose the uh, the, the vaccine makers and, and, and all that. But uh, to your point, um, he definitely did uh, accede to the experts. All right, so, but back to this, um, but one aspect of your piece, again, we're talking with Ted Malik, you referred to as... What would have happened with China? Do we know? Someone must know, Ted, what what China did. Did China? They didn't vaccinate everybody. They didn't they have a billion people. They what did they? Or did they just hide the the illness? To, what what happened in China? Why why don't we know well, what China nice did? Know. You know, we we give all this money to the uh, 
WHO trying to run it, we, we should be able to find something out. We've sent delegations over there and we're supposed to send more and they were turned away. And of course, last week, the Biden administration was totally, uh, uh, what can you say, uh, put out by the, the Chinese delegation in Anchorage. So the Chinese, a well, this is news, don't tell the truth, hide the truth. Uh, and probably the whole thing occurred in a vira, viral lab in Wuhan, uh, you know, where something escaped that shouldn't have escaped. In other words, that virus that are not uh, even native to that part of China, the bats are over a thousand miles away from Wuhan. So what's going on? It would be nice to have the truth rather than have to make a, a bunch of uh, educated guesses. Yeah, and uh, and I guess uh, my point there is that um, we don't even we don't really even know if they did worse or better or anything. We don't know anything about it, and I and we probably never will. Um, all right, uh, uh, Ted, you mentioned you have a piece out that's on uh, Kamala Harris, and uh, I noticed some coverage on social media, and I haven't confirmed this, but you probably know from history as well as uh, just uh, being older and therefore smarter than me um, that there's people saying why is Kamala Harris traveling with uh, Joe Biden so much that the VP is never supposed Basically to be traveling not. with the president. That's right. Yeah. So what's the story? Is that right? Reasons. Well, she's the nurse and she's the president in waiting. So, you know, she has, a, uh, you know, it's mandatory that, you know, except when he tries to climb up and down uh, airplane steps and other things and falls and slips and embarrasses himself. So my most recent piece uh, appeared on Saturday in American Greatness. It's called President Cackle. And what I basically say, of course, she's identified by her evil cackle. So I go at great length in describing how that works and what a cackle is. I don't think most people know the origin of a cackle. So if you're curious about that and you've read uh, Shakespeare, for instance, you might want to go look at that piece. But she is, in fact, the de facto president now, I call her the acting president. So uh, actually in Las Vegas right now, you can make a book, bet odds on how many months Joe Biden will be in office. Hmm. What's what's the what's the what are the odds looking like right now? Do you know? Well, I think in about three or four months, it, it starts to turn you know, pretty much in her favor that he will be declared uh, hmm. unfit for office. Maybe not 25th Amendment. But uh, Jill will say, let's go home to Delaware and uh, she'll just become president. Hmm. It does feel like um, there's things happening that he I mean, it does feel now it's one of these things where you start to see what you feel, in my opinion, like doesn't feel like he's in control. feels like it doesn't feel like he's the one making decisions because it doesn't fit his doesn't fit his 50 year career. Some of the things he's doing and and Mm -hmm. what he's allowing, it feels like this is Susan Rice. And so is Kamala Harris, though, is she because the other people in charge in the White House are all uh, Obama people, right? Susan Rice and uh, and over an OMB be in other places but is Kamala Harris a a, 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 a an Obama person is that is that the reality I don't know if I knew that well you need to read my piece Ed, so you get educated on this. <laughs> all right that's what I'll I do call, I promise I go ahead tell me though the, the puppet cackler she was put in this position by Barack Obama when he went out and, and uh, basically supported her when she was running for president, even though she, she only got 1% of the Democrat primary vote. So she wasn't all that popular. But her cackle is so memorable that uh, I think we're going to be living with it for uh, at least a number more years. Yeah, no, she's very much uh, in, in that 
Uh, the title I give her, or the kind of descriptor I give her, is woke authoritarian. Hmm. hmm. Meaning what? Well, woke is the ideology. I mean, I'm, you know, I explain to you what wokeness is or wokeism yep. because it isn't a Marxist ideology. It has old roots, but it now it comes to the surface again in BLM and these other movements. And uh, it leads to a kind of power trip and authoritarianism, and she really relishes that. She did it as AG in California. She played that game in the Kavanaugh uh, charade uh, and uh, in the primaries. And um, she wants to be what she called a prosecutor president. So let me ask you, who is she going to prosecute? Mm, me and you? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, she also put <laughs> 1,500 black and brown men in jail for some long terms for possessing and smoking weed when, in fact, she bragged about doing it herself when she was in college. Could it be hypocritical? Yeah, the um, the the uh, that's right, and and uh, and also they're firing people in the White House for smoking pot in the past. And, and and by the way, any listeners, I'm not for smoking pot in your past. Don't do it. But they're firing all them, and she did it too, right? I mean, this is this classic, uh, you know, uh, mm. classic uh, uh, move. So, all right, Ted Malik, as always, we got to keep reading him. I'll go read that one. I didn't see, I didn't see the uh, President Cackle one. It came out over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Came out on Friday. I'll put it up on social media too. Thanks, Ted. As always, we'll talk yeah. again very soon. Okay. Take care. All right. Thanks. All right. We'll take a break and be right back. Ted Martin, by the way, don't forget all these interviews with Ted Malik because every darn one of them has insight. Go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. I post them all over there. You're going to want to check them out. And I'll put up on social media President Cackle. I found it, his piece from a couple days ago. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. As liberal anti-self-defense rhetoric reaches an all-time high, we shouldn't be surprised to see more egregious gun control bills than ever before. One such bill, proposed by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas, calls for everything from mandatory psychiatric evaluations to invasive public records showing the location of every legal gun in America. House Bill 127 would change everything America has come to know about gun ownership. Our founding fathers wisely knew that self-defense should be the right of every individual. Representative Jackson Lee would rather make self-defense a special privilege granted by the government at the discretion of bureaucrats. If you think I'm blowing things out of proportion, just listen to what the bill would require. Before any citizen could own a firearm, he would have to be interviewed by a government-approved psychiatrist. On top of this, the psychiatrist would have to interview the applicant's spouse, any former spouses, and two other close friends. If your ex-wife or ex-husband doesn't want you to have a firearm, you're out of luck. If you ever sought professional help for an addiction or depression, you too are out of luck. Why Democrats want to punish people for seeking treatment for their depression is beyond me. Even more outlandish is the public registry that Representative Jackson Lee wants to create. She wants to create a veritable shopping list of firearms for would-be thieves. She proposes a public database listing the name of every firearm owner, the type of firearm owned, and where all of the firearms are stored. 
Again, this would be a publicly open database for any criminal to check before perpetrating any crimes. If they want to take your guns, all they have to do is look up what you have and stop by when you're not home. If they want a soft target, all they have to do is verify that there are no guns in a house before robbing it. Conservatives need to rally against dangerous legislation like Representative Jackson Lee's HB 127. After all, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's time to hear the truth, not the media lies, about gun rights. At phyllisschlafly.com, we've got strategies to protect American citizens, protect ourselves, and protect the Second Amendment. For the latest on the constitutionally protected right to bear arms, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let's finish up. I got a a referral from somebody. They asked me about this story. Uh, Somebody sent me the story, emailed it to me, and and then asked me what I thought. It wasn't, uh, I think it was a listener. Could have been somebody following me on Twitter, but but I thought it was a good topic, and so I wanted to address it there. You you remember the story um, about this uh, 21-year-old, it looks like murderer. He's he's pretty clearly murdered um, eight people, and... um, the media immediately ran out and called it a hate crime, right? Because he had, it turns out he had um, murdered people in some um, massage parlors uh, where he had been frequented in the past. And, and um, he told the police that it wasn't racially motivated, but it was, he had a sex addiction, had been treated for it, and he couldn't stop himself, and he was worried about temptation and all this stuff. So, but before the, the, um, the, uh, the bodies had been, you know, kind of um, buried, the, the New York Times, everybody else, I mean, literally, Literally, uh, it was um, it was within hours. The New York Times and others were saying it was a hate crime and Asian Americans, all these stories. Um, they made it sound like he was a hate crime guy and that it was really terrible and it was aimed at people and all. And that was, you know, terrible coverage and terribly unfair, although he's a murderer, right? it looks like. So I'm not defending the murderer part. But here's the thing that's really nuts. This is the power of the media. There is a story out of he went to the Cran, the Crab Apple First Baptist Church in uh, in in Georgia. This man, Milton, Georgia, and the the church released a statement saying that they were removing him from their membership because his actions no longer affirm that he's truly a regenerate believer in Jesus Christ. Now. I don't have any problem with people saying we don't approve of what the guy did. We condemn what the guy did. It strikes me as really, really unacceptable that churches are saying, and I would have, I think I would have said something if I was the pastor, I would have said, we reject everything he did and what it looks like and what it's been reported. And we're praying for the people whose family, the people who died and their families. And, you know, we condemn all that action and et cetera, et cetera. I would have been happy to do, it wouldn't say nice things necessarily about what he did, but the idea of throwing somebody out of the church, I don't, I mean, I don't know how you do that. And my point here is that's the power of the media. The power of the media to make people turn on each other, and I don't know, and I, I certainly don't, um, 
offer up the insanity defense every time there's a murderer. That's not fair, right? If there's murder, you deserve to be penalized and, and held accountable for murder. But there are people that have real mental health issues, and there is a way that fits into our system. This guy seems not well mental health-wise, right? I mean, big time. And so the idea that, you know, instead of having... And, and back again, I, I don't want to even debate the guy and or his murders, uh, alleged murders, and it seems pretty clear. I think he either admitted to them or admitted enough of the details that you can report it as, you know, he, um, he, he, he confessed to aspects of it and, and, and will be, you know, it's pretty clear. But I want to talk about how powerful the media is and, and how turning it into a hate crime made it so that they had to renounce him, that it was unacceptable to be a part of that, um, of that, uh, uh, of the, any of the story in any way. And it was kind of the, it was kind of the woke thing to do, right? You had to denounce and, and you're a church, like you're a church, you're not you're not the um, the the uh, local um, you know uh, JCs, Junior Commerce or Chamber of Commerce or something. You're a church, and I, there's a lot of ways you could have handled that. And my again, my point is the power of what's happening in society because of the power of media seems to me to be really, really daunting, really, really frightening is a better word. And 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 frankly. The, the idea that these churches, the church leaders, didn't have a way, a path to condemn the conduct and to talk about men and women needing to be uh, parts of churches, it's not a very good message, is it? I mean, I know he was a sinner. We see that. And I know he was really he what he talked about, but really rough, really rough way to react. And, and uh, frankly, there's no way you build the kingdom with that kind of reaction. No way. All right, we got to wrap it up. Speaking of building the kingdom, we got to go. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our great technical director. We had a couple of things I made him do today that were annoying to him and uh, helpful to me. So thank you, as always, Noah, for doing that. Thank you to Joanna uh, for booking our guests out of the heart of America in St. Louis. And we'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.